and that series is going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, you guys, uh, it, I got to say, uh, as I got into this over the last several weeks and was, have been studying or restudying, uh, I, I realized, I mean, I have really bitten off a lot. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's more of we can chew, but it's a lot, it's, but it's really good. And so um, we're just going to jump in and then we'll, we'll get to talking about it this morning. So Ecclesiastes, um, it's uh, back in the Old Testament. Uh, to find the book of Psalms there in the middle and I take a right turn. And I'll give you all a few moments to get there. Um, Ecclesiastes is uh, a, a difficult book. Some would say depressing. Uh, some would even wonder, why is this even in the Bible? However, it is. It's a God's inspired, inerrant, infallible word that comes to teach us and to, uh, to transform our lives. What it says is, is never wrong. What it says is true is always true. And we can trust God's word. And so this morning we're going to come to God's word and uh, uh, hopefully be transformed by it. So hear the word of God. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 starting um, in verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What makes, what does, a, excuse me, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. On its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has already been, already in the ages before us. And there is no remembrance of former things. Nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak through your word. And as we always say, nobody came to hear Russell. Nobody came to hear my opinions or thoughts. They came to hear from you. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that we would hear from you. That you would speak through this broken vessel. Speak through your holy word this morning to us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Amen. Wake up call. I think this is a book full of wake up calls. Wake up call. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, wake up calls. Remind me of time I was a youth pastor for many decades, and I took a, a trip with some uh, students one February. Nice ice cold trip up to uh, the mountains to a camp that we were doing, and the, and the last night we were there, they thought it would be funny to wake me up spraying me with silly string. But what they didn't know 
is that payback is you know what, right? <laughs> and so that next morning, I, I got up a little earlier than everybody. And realizing that the mattresses that they were sleeping on were plastic and waterproof, I decided to give them a wake-up call. And I filled a, a, a garbage can several times full of nice ice-cold mountain water. And I gave them the wake-up call of their lives. And what struck me about it the most, I thought they would scream. But none of them screamed. They did something like, (gasps) (laughs) let me tell you, they never messed with me again, right? That was a rude wake-up call. But nobody likes a wake-up call, do they? Nobody likes the alarm. Nobody likes the wake-up. And I try. You know, I I use my phone as an alarm now. And I've gone through the sounds. You know, at first it was like a, and that was just too rude a wake-up call. So I tried to do like a more melodic. My, I think the one I have now is like these little ding, 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 little bells or whatever. That, you know, in the hopes that that would make the wake-up call a little nicer. But it, it doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter how pleasant the, the call is. If, you don't, if you're asleep and you want to be asleep, wake-up calls aren't pleasant. And so, you know, no one likes a wake-up call. And if, if you look up, like, on the Internet, and that, everything's true there, of course, right? You look up wake-up call. It says, a person or thing that causes people to become fully alert to an unsatisfactory situation and to take action to remedy it. Let me say that again. A wake-up call is a person or thing that causes people to become fully alert to an unsatisfactory situation and take action to remedy it. And and that's what's going on here in the book of Ecclesiastes. And when you kind of see it in that light, the book starts to make sense. Otherwise, you're like, man, this guy's depressed. He needs a hug. Something's going on here. This guy needs counseling or something because... He is like, it's all meaningless, it's all vanity, it, it doesn't really matter. And so, and that has really perplexed Christians throughout history. It's like, why is this even in the Bible? But what we're going to see throughout the book of Ecclesiastes is a series of wake-up calls that alert us to reality and challenges us to make a change. Now, like I mentioned, Ecclesiastes is a strange book, kind of morbid, maybe. Um, but it, let's just give a little bit of background. Ecclesiastes, and, and the, the, the title um, comes out of the, the Greek and Latin word for assembly. And, and, and this, the idea is that, that, that the writer is, a, is someone who would gather an assembly and teach. Um, but in the Hebrew Bible... It's, it's, it's the name of this is Preacher. The book is named Preacher. Okay, and, we would, and most would say, although there's debate about it, and there always is, but that, that it's written by King Solomon. Because as we know, in at least biblical history, was the wisest human that ever lived. He prayed 
God, God said, what, do you, what would you have, you know, well, I can give you anything. And, and what would he ask for? He asked for wisdom. And so we have the wisest man in the world speaking to us through this book. And it's a part of wisdom literature. And wisdom literature, and like, you don't, when you go to the Bible, there's different uh, genres, different types of literature. There's poetry, there's biography, there's history. And, and here is a part of what we call wisdom literature. And wisdom literature focuses on practical living, how you live your life. So this is not a very, this is not philosophical ideas up in the clouds. This is wisdom literature, although it's going to seem like philosophical ideas. He has a practical goal in mind for us. All right, and so this is written by Solomon, and, and Solomon tells us, as we get going in here, that he has gone on a experiment. He has done, he is going to go through a self-inflicted exper- experiment on our behalf. He's going to be the guinea pig for us. And he's going to do this experiment to prove and show what he wants to teach. And he's going to go through this experiment on himself. And he's going to go through life living this experiment in order to teach us um, what uh, he wants us to know. Okay? And here in the book of Ecclesiastes, excuse me, Solomon gives us uh, some harsh challenges to really consider what our lives are about. Really stop and really think what life is really about. Okay? And why, why would he do this? Why would Solomon go about this experiment? Why would he try to give us this rude awakening, this wake-up call? And I would say this. He does it because he knows how easy it is just to live our lives. Busy in ourselves to the point where we never really ask the tough questions. We just kind of get going and we just do it. And, and, and what he doesn't want to happen, and I think he writes, writes, writes this towards the end of his life, to be honest with you. It, it reads like somebody who's looking back and he's trying to pass it on to us to say, don't do what I did. You know, I've been the guinea pig. Learn from one of my mistakes. And what he doesn't want us to happen is that to get to the very edge, the very end of our life and look back and said, oh, that just happened. He wants us to say, now, what does my life look like? Okay, and so our first wake-up call gives us right here in the beginning. It's kind of harsh. All of life is vanity. Some translations translate this meaningless. All of life is vanity. Meaningless. What is he getting at here? And he wants to lay this out, make sure we understand it, and then ask us, what should we do with it? So let's look at that. First of all, all of life is defined by vanity, according to him. He says in verse 2, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What is he saying here? 
What's going on here? And it's important because he uses this word vanity. It's translated here, vanity, 38 times in 12 chapters. Do the math. It's important. <laughs> this word is really, if you want to understand the book of Ecclesiastes, this is one of the words, you better get what he's saying here. All right? Um, it's very important. And many translations, like the NIV and some others, don't use the word vanity. They use the word meaningless. So, and so he's saying meaningless, uh, meaningless of meaninglessness. It's hard to say. All is meaningless. There's no point. There is no point to it all. It's all meaningless. Now, this might sound like if, if you've gone to college and you went to freshman philosophy class, and you, and, you, know, you may have had a secular um, professor, and he would have tried to point out to you there is no God. There is, and the, you know, all we know is what we see in this earth, and, and therefore there is no higher meaning in this world. We call this empiricism. It's the philosophy of the world that says all you can know is what you see and experiment and do right here on earth. And that's it. And so the problem with that is that there's no higher meaning. The only meaning we can have is what we can create right here. The only meaning we can have is the meaning that we can maybe create or produce Right now, in this life. Um, in fact, I mean, the story of modern, hist- uh, modern philosophical thought is they, they began to assume there's no God. They, you know, try to tear apart the Bible and say there is no God. Okay? Um, and all we know is in this, all, all we know in this life is this life. All we can know is what we can see, touch, experiment reproduce in the scientific method or whatever and therefore there's really no higher meaning and so all we can do is create that meaning somehow make our lives have some kind of meaning ourselves and that's been the history of and we'll get to this later okay I'm gonna, I'm gonna explore that a little bit later okay now Ecclesiastes certainly does seem to approach that philosophy it seems like Ecclesiastes is saying this very thing, doesn't it? We're going to see. Um, but Solomon is saying something a little different here. Something simpler, something more practical. He's saying all is meaningless vanities. And you have to get behind this word here. You've got to understand what's being said here. He's using the Hebrew word havel. He uses the word, Hebrew word havel 38 times in this book. We already mentioned that, okay? And the, the word havel really means to, to breath, vapor, wind. You see what he's saying now? So let's, let's translate it that way. All of life is a breath. Breath of breath. All is a breath. Or let's use vapor. All of, because everybody likes to vape now. That seems to be the thing. Everybody's quitting smoking and graduating to vaping. So you've got to get your vape shop going on. So all of life is a vape. Vape of vapes. All of life is a vape. 
All of life is a wind or a breath. And so when you start to see what he's really saying, um, the word vanity might be a little better. So think about the word vanity. We, we sometimes use the word vanity when we say that person is vain. They have sort of like a, like a, un, un, uh, a selfish pride about themselves or like a, a silly pride about themselves. But vanity also can mean someone who um, relies upon things like appearance or reputation that won't last. So if you say somebody is vain, it may mean that they, they're just all caught up in their appearance, which you know a few years later after gravity takes effect, aging occurs, they ain't going to look like that anymore. And they strutting like they something. You know, they're walking around like they're hot stuff, and you know, give it a few years, Right? And this is one of the things that, that cracks me up about teenagers. I was just in the mall yesterday. I had to go exchange some pants, my, my joy, to go exchange some pants. And I'm walking through the mall, and I see all these teenagers, you know, and, and they're at the prime of their physical appearance, you know. And they, some of them, you know, some of them aren't, you know what I mean? Like some of them are peaking late. You know, I mean, that was me. I was like scrawny little nerd guy, you know. Not that I ever got to anything anyway, but... You know what I'm saying? Like, but teenagers are at the peak of their, you know, and like some of them are hot stuff right now. And you know, you know, give them, give them college. You know, they, they hit that freshman 15 pounds or whatever they say. And, you know, give them a couple, you know, they, they hit their five, ten year anniversary, your reunion, and they don't look like that anymore. That is vanity. And he's saying that life is vanity. All of life is a breath. So what is he saying here? Psalm is pointing to some realities. We're going to see it as he lays out this text. So he, he says all of, he, he kind of makes his thesis here, and he starts to prove it in the next several verses after it, through, down to verse 11. Okay? And the first thing that he shows us is that life is short. Life is short. Think about it. Say you are vaping, or the, like earliest morning or last night, I went outside, and I, I, breath, I breathed out, and it was this nice big cloud, you know, and it looked so pretty, you know, but it doesn't last. And that's the point. And now, you may have, it may be a nice one, I have a neighbor, this guy is like the king of cigarette vaping things. He's got this contraption that takes like, I think it has a motor in it. And he'll pull on, he'll suck on that thing, and he'll have a cloud that just burst around him. I'm like, wow, he's an awesome guy. <laughs> I mean, he just, just this huge cloud, but guess what? It's gone. And that's what he's saying here. Why? It is short. This is said elsewhere. Psalm 39, verses 5 through 6. Behold, you have made your days a few handbreadths. Guess what? That's the word havel. In my, in, in my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands mere, mere as a mere breath, Havel. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heats up wealth. He does not know who will gather. It doesn't last. It's short. Life is short. And the older we get, the more we realize that, isn't it? 
Okay, secondly, life is elusive. Think about it. It's, you know, it reminds me, I, I, I grew up, I read the, the Lord of the Ring books. And, I, and back, this is when I was a teenager, and I thought that was really cool, like um, Gandalf and the, and the hobbits, they would smoke and like blow like really cool smoke rings and stuff. You know, and I would try to do that. But here's the thing about a smoke ring or even a, a breath of air or smoke or whatever. You try to grab it, the more you try to grab it, the faster it goes. And, he's, and that's the thing about life is that the, the more we try to grasp it, the more we reach out for it, the quicker it goes. But another thing he points to here is that life is repetitious and monotonous. Look what he says here. He says, verse 6, The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and round goes the wind. And on its circuit, the winds return. And the streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What? Has been that what excuse me what has been is what will be and what has been done is what will be done and there is nothing new under the sun is there a thing in which is said see it is new it has been already in the ages before us it's been already in the ages before us in other words we think we're new we think we're smart we think our accomplishments are awesome. We think technology's great and all this, that, and the other. But here's the thing. It's, we're going to die, and it's going to get replaced. The house you live in right now will one day be something else. It'll be pavement. It'll be something. You follow what I'm saying? And he's saying that the life is just this monotonous cycle over and over and over again. Are you depressed yet? Are we getting there yet? We're working on it. Again, this is a harsh wake-up call from him. All right? And, okay, moving on. Then, then the, the ticket off the worst, life is profitless. And he says this in uh, verses 3 and 4. What does a man gain by all the toil by which he toils under the sun? Okay, here's this word gain. See, the generation goes and generation comes, but the earth remains forever. He uses this word gain. And this word gain um, is really the word profit. So after all is said and done, after everything that you've lived and done in your life, at the end of it, is there something to show for it? Is there profit? Was there something you could say, look, here it is? And his answer it becomes obvious as you can read on that there isn't. What does he say? He says in verse 4, a generation goes, generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The only thing that is going to continue after you die is the earth spinning. In 100 years, 400 years, 1,000 years, 2,000 years, 10,000 years, what is going to be of what your life has been. And your freshman philosophy teacher would say, nothing. Nothing at all. It doesn't matter. 
As a matter of fact, you can, you can do clean air, you can you know, recycle, you can do all that, and all you are doing is barely shortening what's inevitable, that this world, this civilization will eventually end. The sun will become a supernova or whatever, super giant star, and it'll burn this place. It'll never be anything ever again. So you might have shortened it. Like I heard a great illustration of this. The ship is sinking. It's inevitable. You have a few minutes to live. And somebody runs from the bottom of the ship and says, I fixed the boiler. And you're like, great. That helped. We're still sinking. Right? It's a, that's, the, that's the idea here. Is that life is profitless. There is no gain. So, so Solomon sketches humankind's place on the canvas of the entire universe to show in graphic terms just how and why there is nothing to be gained. He says, I leave only one thing behind, and that's the earth I used to live on remaining right where it was when I first arrived. Only now it spins without me. Now you're depressed. Is anybody depressed yet? So he's, this is a hard, he, harsh reality he's painting here. And so in this harsh reality that this world is just a vapor, how should we live our lives? How sh- we should be living our lives informed by this vanity, by this reality that is before us. And so how should we live? That, remember, this is wisdom literature. So how, this is his goal. How do we... <clears throat> He wants us to consider how we should live in light of this. Now, modern philosophical insights or philosophies or whatever that have occurred over in the 20th century um, have come to the point, this point. They, have, they literally came to this point. There's no God. All we know is what this earth is. Therefore, there's no meaning. Then what? And so... There's been three main approaches of modern philosophical thought of how we should live our lives in light of that. Okay, the first of those was the humanist. The humanist um, basically said, you know, man is the measure of all things, and so we need to to um, make this world a better place. Technology. And, you know, move things forward. Try to create utopia and all these things and that so on. Um, The problem with that, we've already said, Solomon answers it, which is, okay, you've made this place supposedly a better place, but once we're all dead and gone, what did that matter? Okay, so that one, another approach that modern philosophical thought has done is called hedonism. Hedonism says there is no meaning. There's really no point to this. So just enjoy life. Pleasure. Enjoy it. Pleasure. And um, have, just, let's just have some fun. Let's just enjoy, get all we can out of life. Y'all, people functionally do this too. They don't have the philosophy of this. This is very functional in a lot of people's lives. There is no real meaning. There's no point at all. Let me just enjoy life the best that I can. And a lot of people attempt that. The problem with that is, sometimes life doesn't become very enjoyable. There's a lot of pain and suffering and heartache and loss. 
And then even if you're trying to do the pleasure thing, maybe you're just trying to medicate your way through life. The problem is the drugs, the medication, the pleasure doesn't last. And you need a little bit more the next time. A little bit more the next time. Right? You, you know what I'm talking about. It just doesn't quite do it. And a lot of hedonists get to the end of their lives and realize, now what? And then the last one is the existentialists. And there's still plays and movies all about this. Uh, Waiting for Godot. Uh, you know, there's John Paul Sartre and Camus and all of these. Some of you all may have had to read these in, in high school or in college and so on. And the idea is there is no meaning in this world. And so, what do we do? Well, in the face, in defiance, in the face of meaninglessness, we are going to create meaning and we're just going to be good, moral people in the face of that meaninglessness. Or it just gets absurd. I remember reading a, a short story, I think it was by John, uh, John Paul Sartre, or Sartre, however you say his name, and I'm not, I don't know French, so y'all can correct me later. Um, there's a story about a man, and, his, and, the, and there's just no, he, he is, uh, he's trying to be truly free, and he's trying to create his own meaning, and the way to do that, he feels like, is to do the very thing that he, his heart doesn't want to do, and it's, and it's, so it's a story of him struggling with, the one thing he definitely would never want to do would be to, to harm and kill his cats, and it's a struggle of him wanting to, you know, Wanting to, not wanting to, whatever, because it, it just becomes a total absurdity. We're trying to create meaning in the, in the face of meaninglessness. Um, and the problem is, you know, if you're trying to create this moral, good life in the face of meaninglessness, how do you define good and moral? Is it what you want, what you don't want? Is, who, who defines what is good or what is bad? Now, if that's, that's where you're left in the modern secular mind. Now, but here's the thing. Solomon really isn't talking to these modern secularists. That's what you've got to understand here. Now, we could kind of say, man, he really seems like he was there with them. And he's saying, you know, there's low meaning, so what are we going to do? How are we going to create meaning in our lives? He's talking, listen, he is talking to God's people. Now, I used to read this and think, man, this is like a good apologetic type book. It can help us talk to the modern secular philosophical mind, all this kind of stuff. And, and it never kind of dawned on me that he wasn't talking to them. That, number one, they didn't exist yet. Number two, he, this is God's word to God's people. He is talking to God's people. So here's the question then. Are we... Virtually doing the same thing. You hear what I said? Let me make sure you understand the question here. Are we like the modern secular philosopher or just the modern secular person? Are we just trying to create meaning in a life that there's no real meaning? Are we functionally just trying to create our own little pretend reality? You know how little kids do that? Kids are really good at playing pretend and we are too we just kind of go through the motions in our lives trying to just create some type of home some kind of happiness some kind of maybe one, okay i'm just gonna work 
work, work. Talk about the, he says, what, what, is, what gain comes from our toil? This idea of toil, especially here in America, we work more than any generation in the world has ever worked. We work all the time. Why? So that one day I can retire and play golf for a few years before I get too old, and then I'm in a nursing home and die. And so we, we kind of pretend. We end up like um, the ostrich. Heads in the sand, oh, you know, a lion or something may be coming, so I'm going to stick my head in the sand, I'll be safe. Are we functionally doing that? And he's challenging God's people. Are we, in fact, just playing pretend? Like this world, like this earth, could actually give us something that would mean something and last. And he's saying, it can't. This world will never be what you hope it will be. This world is a vapor. Now, that's a harsh reality. That is a really harsh reality. We're busy in ourselves, striving, toiling, and deep down, hoping we can make this life what we think it should be. And, and so here's the question. This reminds me, do y'all, if y'all remember, any of y'all remember the movie Matrix, The Matrix? Well, for those of you who don't remember the movie, The Matrix, the premise of The Matrix is that, um, uh, that, the, that there was machines that took over the world and they've created a virtual reality and they plugged all human beings into this virtual reality. And the main character, I think his name is Neo, uh, is eventually uh, contacted by people who have found out about this virtual reality. It doesn't exist. And they, they pose to him the question, Are you, will you continue living in this world that's fake? Or, or do you want the harsh reality? If you remember, he's sitting there. I think his name was Orpheus or Morpheus. Morpheus? And they're sitting there in these two chairs. And he holds out his hands. Are you going to take the red pill or are you going to take the blue pill? Remember this? And, and, of course, he takes the red pill, which means reality, harsh reality, wake-up call. And it was. You know, it was a harsh, rough reality, but it was real. The rest was fake. And later in the movies, another character who eventually um, decides he doesn't like the reality and so he starts making a deal with the machines and the computer machines or whatever. And then he goes back into uh, virtual reality and he's sitting there and he's eating his fake steak. And he says, I know it's not real, but it's so good. He says, I should have taken the blue pill. Remember that scene? And I, I couldn't help but think, man, how often... Am I just trying to take the blue pill? Just hoping that this reality that I'm living, this life that I'm living, is going to be what I hope it can be. And the reality, the harsh reality is, this world is what it is. King Solomon here says the, the phrase, under the sun, over 30 times throughout the book. It's very important, just like the word vanity. 
under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. What does it look like, life under the sun? What he's saying is, a life on this planet lived is this reality. As it stands right now, we're born, we're going to toil and, and struggle through this life. Each and every one of us in this room is going to die. Give enough time, all that we did, said, wanted, hoped for, accomplished, will eventually be gone. Now, that's a rough reality. It's a wake-up call. Now, and that's why Solomon asked the question, what does man gain by all the toil which he toils under the sun? And his answer is harsh. None. Now, the good news, what we believe is that in the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Say that again, y'all remember that. In the Old Testament, the New Testament is concealed. In the Old, New Testament, the Old Testament is revealed. And what that means is when we go to these Old Testament books, we can know By Jesus' own words, that the the law and the prophets and the writings, which included these, testify about me. So when we come to the pages of Ecclesiastes, we may not get answers in the Old Testament. We get the right questions that the New Testament answer. And that's when we go to the Old Testament, we don't say, I mean, if we just sit here, and I would say, if you're depressed and struggling, Ecclesiastes might not be a good place to start. But what he wants you to see is, this is real, guys. This life is short. It is elusive. It won't last. So how are you living in those moments that will not last? What are you doing with them? Are you squandering them? Are you letting them go? And here's the good news, though. When we go to the New Testament, we we realize that there can be a gain. There is, can be profit through our lives. Look with me in Corinthians chapter 15. This is the Apostle Paul talking about Jesus' death and ultimately his resurrection. And he's talking all about the resurrection and what that means. And he says this to conclude it all. And the the sting of, of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be satisfied, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord... Stop there. In the Lord, your labor is not in vain. In the Lord, your labor is not in vain. And then we're told in, in, uh, in Romans 8.28, and we know that all things... Uh, we know that for those who love God, God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to His purpose. In other words, every moment, every little squeak of breath that goes through our lives can and will have eternal impact and gain in the Lord. 
um, one author makes a really good point. Either every moment in this life means something, or every moment in this life means nothing. Did you hear that? Either every moment means something, or it means nothing. Which is it? God sent his only son. And he lived a perfect life that we could never live. Died death on our behalf, paying for our sin, penalty of our rebellion against God, so that we would be forgiven. Now we step into a new relationship with God, declared righteous, declared holy. And now our lives can have a redemptive value. Every moment of our lives can have a redemptive, eternal value. So you go later and you watch the game, enjoy it. Give God the glory. But here's a question that remains. What are you doing with these elusive, short moments that you've been given? That's what he's posing for us. What are you doing with them? Are you just playing pretend? Are you eating the blue pill? Are you being real about what this really is? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you.